Welcome to the Talk of Fame Network. I got a good deal on those boys. The scout said they showed a lot of promise. With your Hall of Fame voters. Don't act like you're not impressed. Ron Borges. You want to punch me right now, but you won't. Rick Gosselin. I don't know what we're yelling about! And Clark Judge. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Vacation's all we ever wanted, right, Ron? You got that right. Where are you? It sounds as if you've already started your vacation. Where are you? I'm at the the Travelers Golf Tournament down in Connecticut, watching George Spieth doing his thing, and uh, waiting to grab my clubs and go on vacation, too. Wow, Gooseman. Sounds like uh, Ron has a head start on us. Uh, Maybe he's at the first tee. I don't know. Uh, Maybe he's at the 19th hole. I'm not sure. Goose, where are you going on your vacation? (laughs) Well, I'm going to spend some time in Chicago. You know, summer is the time to go north, get out of that Texas heat. I love Texas, but not in July and August. You going to a Cubs game? Probably not. Ron, I said 17th <laughs> hole. Are you on the 17th hole? No, the 19th hole, I said. You're on the 19th hole? Exactly right. 19th hole, that's the, the best hole for me. It's wet there, <laughs> but we're happy about it. There you go. Well, I'm happy about being on vacation, too. I'm off to Maine and Canada. Maybe see a Sea Dogs game in Portland. Uh, maybe get over to Quebec. Love that uh, Quebec City. Maybe, Ron, get over to your place. Okay. Uh, Come on maybe down. Maybe Sea Dogs in Quebec. You'll be at another golf tournament. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're gone, in case you haven't noticed. We are gone. We're on vacation. But our show and our guests, well, they're not. In fact, as we've done the past two years while we're away, we let our best of series play. And this time, it's quarterbacks running backs and wide receivers who are going to do the talking while we're away. And there are plenty of them. In fact, you're going to get eight of them each week. And, Ron, you got to trust us. They're good, right? They're good. They're noteworthy. And they're worth a second oh, listen, they're, right? Right. They're, they're all worth a second listen. And the, and the beauty of the second listen is, is you don't have to listen to us babbling in between. <laughs> so it's pretty good. You just get great uh, athletes telling stories. That's right. Hey, Ron, I'd watch that hook to the left. Watch that, would you please? Stay clear of the trees. Hey, in, in, in case you're interested, and I am certain you are, we get back. Uh, Goose, wh- when do we get back, Goose? First show of season four is Wednesday, July 26th, and we've got Falcons coach Dan Quinn, NFL oh. MVP Matt Ryan lined up to talk about any potential Super Bowl hangover by the Falcons. Well, July 26th, that's the week before the 2017 Hall of Fame induction. Hey, is that when we get Jerry and Jimmy on pay-per-view? Of course, Jerry Jones will be there. So will Kurt Warner, LT, Morton Anderson, Ken Easley, Terrell Davis, Jason Taylor. You know, we will be too. But that's that's and in us. the future. Right now, we're on vacation. Catch you down the road, guys. See ya. This is Greg Olson, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two for four dollar croissant sandwich deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant sandwich. You know, they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah. So I got two croissant sandwich, and I get one of this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. (laughs) You guys. The croissant deal is two for $4. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwiches now for $4 only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Clark Judge. You play to win the game. Just a reminder, the Talk of Fame Network is sponsored by GEICO. With just 15 minutes, can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. And you know something? You probably should have gone 15 minutes ago. 
Our first guest is one of the finest wide receivers in the NFL and one of the finest people off of the field, too. I'm talking, of course, of Baltimore Steve Smith, who played what he said is his last game this past week and ending a 16-year career. That is Hall of Fame worthy. He ranks seventh in league history in all-purpose yards, seventh in receiving yards, 12th in receptions, and 25th in touchdown catches. But he's also the only player in league history to lead the league in receiving yards per game despite being on a team that was last in pass attempts, that was back in 2008, and who, along with Hall of Famer Tim Brown, who's a friend of the show, is one of only two players to have at least 900 career catches and score on runs, passes, punt returns, and kickoff returns. Steve, always good to have you with us. Oh, thank you. Hey, Steve, l- listen, after Sunday's game in Cincinnati, I know you said, could I play another year? Yeah, probably, but you're not going to. So why not? I mean, what convinced you that unlike last season when you did consider retirement, that this is really it? Well, i tell you one of the things a lot of people don't know. Um, I actually submitted my paperwork. Um, I said, submitted a letter to the NFL and the NFLPA yesterday. Oh, you did? be January 2nd. Um, so I am, this is technically my first day of retirement. Um, officially, uh, I announced it, you know, publicly, but I also submitted a letter, uh, basically my letter of resignation from the NFL uh, as of yesterday. Well, congratulations. What, what convinced you, though, that this was the time to go? Well, you know, um, I'm up there in age, and, and, and also there's just, I'm just at a point where I am at peace and comfortable in my own skin, meaning I have enjoyed this game. I've enjoyed uh, the ups and downs of it, but I also know that it's not going to always continue to be there. And I don't want to be one of those players that uh, everybody's kind of looking and also be that player that he's looking at himself in the mirror going, I should have did it two years ago, or I should have did it five games in. Or you see some of my other guys that I, I respect a, a great deal have retired in the middle of the season. And you don't know why. And you don't understand why, but your body will tell you. And my mind is there. My heart is there. My family is, has supported me, whichever – avenue or direction I want to go, and I just feel comfortable and at peace at my decision. Steve, since we're a Hall of Fame-themed show, here's the obvious question. Was Steve Smith a Hall of Fame wide receiver? I mean, if I'm in there voting, uh, yeah, like yesterday. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Nobody does not vote for themselves when they have a winning vote. Like, if you don't vote for yourself, you're not going to go, What you know, the the PCS will be like, well, I hope so. And all. But if I'm voting and it's behind closed doors, I'm like, yeah, you know, of course. But I think, you know, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors in there because I'm not part of that process. But I would say um, I have been a unique player. Um, you know, one of the stats that I love reading that was pretty cool, uh, one of the few stats I love reading that was pretty cool, which is obviously – I'm a huge Tim Brown fan. I take my fingers at under my gloves because Tim Brown used to do it. Um, so my grand my grandpa is an Oakland uh, Raider fan. He grew up in Monterey, California, so he's always been an Oakland fan. And uh, he used to make me watch the Oakland games and when they were Los Angeles Raiders. But is my stature? I'm five nine. Uh, I'm not the the tallest guy. I'm not a slot receiver. I played in the, in the slot and outside, predominantly outside. So just having that opportunity to display that I can play on the outside and it doesn't mean uh, you have to be a certain height 
to do that, and I've been able to do that. So I think that's one of the things that um, I really enjoy when people read that. They was like, wow, that's a pretty cool uh, stat that a lot of people kind of brush aside that don't realize that, that um, I was the first player to do that. So I, I think that's awesome. Steve, one of the things I've always admired about you as a, as a player is the that sort of internal fire that you clearly have. Sometimes you'd watch it play and say, geez, why do you do that? But, <laughs> you know, but for the most part, you know, it was so much a part of who you were and the way that you played. If that fire didn't burn quite so hot, what would have happened to Steve Smith, the football player, and why were you the way you were? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, everybody's, uh, I've said it, your perspective is created by the porch you were raised on. And the porch I was raised on was in Los Angeles, California, a very tough upbringing. But also, uh, I had two parents that loved me, that did the best they can with the circumstances, and they worked their tails off. And I never got anything easy. And obviously, even through this process of finishing football, it wasn't easy. You know, even my last year, I had to come back through a, a, a pretty severe injury to even play. And then with that, people say, well, how effective will he be? And then it was, oh, well, he's at that age. So it was always been a turn in my life where it's been a question mark to some capacity and when I play the game I play the game with understanding I'm not getting any free lunches and so you got to just play tough you got to play hard nose and you got to play um, the way I grew up watching it when I grew up watching football in the, in the age that I grew up it wasn't a nice kind of football it was slobber knocker. It was hit you in the mouth. It was try to knock a, you know, Jack Tatum, try to knock a guy's helmet off. It was very aggressive. And that's the way football has always been pictured in my mind of when I desired to play with Smash Mouth football. Essentially, you're telling us it was Baltimore versus Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Every week. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> We're speaking with wide receiver Steve Smith on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at Talk of Fame Net. And Steve, um, Goose asked you earlier about the, the Hall of Fame. If, if there's one game that you could show Hall of Fame voters who you are or that captures the best of you as a player, what game would that be? I think... Um... I think that first game in Baltimore against the Pittsburgh Steelers, that Thursday night game. Why? Because it was at a point in my career, and it was in a division that as an older player, um, they're playing a tough division like that, you wouldn't necessarily see a guy that play faster. And uh, you know, I think I, I loved going to Baltimore because it gave, people, it gave people a renewed set of eyes on me, and it made them look at me closely because it was in a division in which – that's how they play, and I rose up to that occasion, and I fit in so well. Where at times I would agree at if you have a certain personality in a division that doesn't really fit, you stand out and not always in a good way. Steve, how about that uh, St. Louis playoff game in 2003? That's when I thought you'd say. I was so young, to be honest, I didn't even know what I was doing. Let's just be <laughs> honest. That whole, the first, that, that whole playoff was a blur in the sense of I really didn't really understand the magnitude of the game until now as an older player. It's like, wow. You know, here's one of the things that why I say that. I remember we beat Philadelphia, and I was so mad uh, when we were doing all of the uh, the ceremony. And if you go back and look, I am on none of Carolina Panthers um, on their pitchers because I was so mad 
after that game because I, I, I wasn't effective. And I was more concerned that if we go to Shoe Bowl, we're not going to do well because how sloppy and ineffective we were offensively um, despite we won. Steve, let me ask you one, one more quick one here. Walking off the field after that Super Bowl against the Patriots, did you feel the better team won? No, because when you're at the Super Bowl, you think you're the better team. And you could go back and look at uh, – you can go back and play your mind all the opportunities you let slip away. And not necessarily because of their defenses. You know, we have a kick that goes out of bounds. We got a corner playing the wrong coverage. You know, we got a sack that possibly, you know, sh- you know, we got a, a line stunt that they didn't run or, you know, the, the guy didn't tackle, you know, wrap up. I thought technically we were the better team. I know we let a whole quarter and a half of football go without really playing like it was our last game. Like we played, we played safe ball in the first half, and I think it came back and bat- bit us in the butt. And we ran out of we ran out of time. We should have put him away. Steve, we got to run. But uh, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for the memories. And you know what? Best of luck with the next chapter in your life. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks Steve. Steve. That was Baltimore receiver Steve Smith. Up next, why another receiver belongs in the Hall of Fame conversation. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is Ozzie Newsom, general manager of the Baltimore Ravens, and you're listening to Talk of Fame Network. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two for four dollar croissant sandwich deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant sandwich. You know, they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant sandwich, and I get one of this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant sandwich deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Goslin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. I want winners. Just a reminder, the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Grasshopper. Turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Get a local toll-free number or bring your own. See how it works? Go to grasshopper.com. Um, our next guest, that would be Tim Brown, is a former Heisman Trophy winner at Notre Dame and a member of both the College and Pro Football Halls of Fame. Tim won the Heisman in 1987 and a few months later became the sixth overall draft pick of the Oakland Raiders and of the NFL Draft. Talk about playing for two of football's most iconic, iconic brands. Tim has been on our show a couple times to talk about his days as a Raider and his election to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But this being the first, the first of our six-part series on the NFL's top college producers. We've invited him back to talk about his days at Notre Dame. Tim, welcome back to our airwaves. And you know what? I'd say cheer, cheer for old Notre Dame, except I'm hearing the Raider theme song in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should have had that Notre Dame fight song going. Yeah. Man. I, I appreciate <laughs> right. you guys having me. <laughs> Tim, you're from Dallas, but didn't exactly play for a prep power in your three years as a starter at Woodrow Wilson High. You won just four games. How did Notre Dame find such a good player at such a bad program? You know, man, that, that's when you, you have to know that there is a God someplace, man. Notre Dame actually came to recruit uh, Dante Jones. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Dante. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Rick, I know you are. He went to Oklahoma yeah. and went ahead and played uh, 10 years, I think, with Chicago Bears and Denver Broncos. But he was at my rival high school. They came to recruit him, Thursday night football game. 
I scored four touchdowns, a kick return, a punt return, a long run, and a long catch. Uh, I played 27 years of football going back to junior high school. Uh, the only time I scored four touchdowns was when Notre Dame came to recruit somebody else. So um, <laughs> I, I think I think it was in the cards for me to uh, to wind up with those guys. Perfect timing. There you go. You you were uh, you know you're also lo- uh, looked at by Big Eight schools, Oklahoma, Nebraska, uh, coming out of high school would seem in some ways a more logical place to go. Why did you pick Notre Dame? Uh, it, it was all about the education, man. My mom and dad literally set me down and said, hey, boy, you have no future in football, all right? So um, <laughs> we need you to go someplace where you're going to get a great education. And and at that time, one of Notre Dame's big pitches was that they would tell you that uh, you had five years to get a four-year scholarship, and you only had to practice one week. And if you decided to quit, uh, you would still have your scholarship. And, and that proved true because there was a kid who came from Dallas, a linebacker who came from Dallas with me, who practiced one week. He quit, and he still got his scholarship, and he walked uh, four years later with me. So um, so it was all about the education. These other schools I went to, I just didn't feel as, feel as, feel, feel as, as if I, I fit in. And, um, you know, uh, hanging out with some of those guys, it was it was just a little different experience for me than when I was up at Notre Dame. So. It, it just felt like home, man. It felt like a comfortable place to me. I thought you were going to tell us it was all about the fight song, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what the fight song was. I didn't even heard of Notre Dame. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> we're speaking with former Notre Dame and Raiders great Tim Brown on the Talk of Fame Network. And you can find us at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at talkoffamenet. And, Tim, um, you started Notre Dame under Jerry Faust, and you finished under Lou Holtz. Now, I think I remember seeing Lou at your induction in Canton. What impact did he have on your football career? Uh, man, you know, he, he he turned it all around for me, man. Uh, when he got there, again, I was so focused on getting the education and going back home and, you know, uh, working a normal job, man, that uh, that's all that, that was on my plate. And, you know, I, I was doing great in school at the time. And he, I, I can remember after two days of spring ball, the first two days of practice, he pulled me over and he asked me a litany of questions about, you know, why wasn't I playing and, you know, and all these kind of things. Uh, do, well, did I get a drug problem? Or was it girls? Was it grades? What was it? You know. <laughs> and I told him, you know, they just didn't play me. He was, no, there's no coaching staff in America dumb enough not to play you. You tell me what the problem was. So, and I had to convince him that you know they just didn't play me. So, um, and he told me then that you know the only way a team wouldn't that uh, only way I wouldn't get the ball is if a team find a way to uh, intercept and snap from center. And uh, if they do that, then he can't give me the ball. But uh, otherwise, he's going to find a way to get me the ball. And, um, and uh, you know, two weeks later, he told me he thought I could be the best player in the country. And, um, you know, those are accolades that, um, you know, really was almost too much for me to handle. But I, I remember almost verbally saying to myself at one point, hey, just listen to him. Just do what he asks you to do, and let's just see what happens. The worst thing, can, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to be right where you are. And uh, but uh, and that's what I did, man. I just trusted him more than I trusted myself, and uh, you know, and things just took off for me. So every time I see him now, no matter where we are, I always bow down to him, and uh, he hates it, but uh, I love it because I, I think he I think he deserves it. Tim, you scored touchdowns at Notre Dame on runs, receptions, and both kickoff and punt returns, and left South Bend with 19 school records. Is there one moment from your days at Notre Dame that stands out more than any other? You know, there are really two moments. Uh, you know, my 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 junior year, we're playing Michigan up at the University of Michigan, and um, you know, I, I make this incredible uh, this incredible catch, 
And, uh, you know, I think people start to realize then that this, this kid is, you know, it's a little special or whatever. So, uh, but my senior year, we were playing Michigan State in, in South Bend, uh, and I have those two punts back to back. And, uh, and it literally changed my life, I believe, because I think I won the Heisman Trophy that night off of those, of those two punt returns back to back. So, um, you know, those are plays that you'll just never forget. One sort of gave you the confidence that you could make the great plays. And two was sort of really solidifying your place in history. Ouch! <laughs> now you played with and against obviously a lot of uh, Notre Dame players during your career in the NFL. Is there a uh, bond sort of between Notre Dame guys, uh, regardless of of where they end up playing in the NFL? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can remember <laughs> in particular this one young receiver who had you know was playing on the uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs, and and after the game, you know, we had beat them and. And, uh, you know, he sort of looked at me and, and, and just walked by me. And I can remember literally grabbing him by the back of his jersey and say, don't you ever walk by a domer and don't speak to a domer. I don't care what the score is on the scoreboard. You know, we, you know. And so ever since that day, every time I see him, and obviously we're not on the field, but you know, he makes a beeline to come and speak, you know. But, um, you know, it, it's just, you know, I think it's uh, when you go – through a place like the University of Notre Dame, it's not an easy place to get to. There are a lot of things that you have to deal with up there. Uh, the education, the academics alone is, is very, very tough. <clears throat> you know, So if you're fortunate enough to get a degree and to make it to the league, uh, I, I certainly think there is a bond that, um, that, uh, that is established. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it's something that when we get together, we talk about quite a bit. But it was a special place, man, or still is a special place. And, uh, you know, we love to talk about our, the good old days, as we call it now. Tim, let me take Ron's question a step further and beyond Notre Dame. I mean, you're one of only 79 players to win the Heisman Trophy. Is there a bond also among those players uh, from winning the Heisman? Yeah, there really is, man. You know, and I'm I'm realizing that more and more every day, you know. Uh, so I'm sort of like right in the middle right now of the young guys and, and the older guys. So... Uh, so I'm, I'm having relationships with, uh, with, with both sides of the party. So and it's, it's really special for me right now being, uh, being where I am. So, you know, I think, you know, when you look at the careers of some of these guys, they didn't, they didn't play 17 years in the NFL afterwards. You know, some guys barely played at all. And you have other guys who are Hall of Famers, you know. So, you know, there's such a diverse group. But it's amazing how when we get together, you know, doing these these uh, the Nissan Heisman shoot or whatever it may be, you know, everybody's one. There is no big Heisman, little Heisman uh, winner. Everybody's on the same uh, level, man. It's just a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, I just want to okay. think, uh, Tim, how close do you keep tabs Notre Dame and, and do you go back for games? Yeah, yeah, I do. I go back uh, for the first two, three games of the year. Before it gets cold, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get every game I can get in before the uh, – October the 15th game, and uh, then I try and catch them on the road either at Stanford or at USC or wherever they have in the, um, the uh, what do they call it, the list series they have, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where they, they take a game like in Texas or whatever. So, oh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I try and catch them on the field. Yeah. One question now, I have for you. You played you play for Jerry Faust, who, who was, uh, I don't know him, but from all accounts, not a great college coach, but a most people seem to think a wonderful guy. What was it like playing for Great. a guy like him who was a high, really sort of a high school coach? Oh, man, it was incredible. I mean, he was uh, he was a great guy, man. We all felt so bad. Um, you know, we didn't know any better. We did what he asked, asked us to do, but just found out that what he was asking us to do wasn't, wasn't going to work. So, um, I mean, I can remember one time he asked 
I was about to return a punt. He was like, "Okay, Tim, I need you to, I need you to uh, fair catch it, and we're going to do a quick kick." And uh, quick kicks were only in the NFL; they weren't in college. So, <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he is the most beloved person at Notre Dame still today. He comes to every uh, every away game. I mean, every home game, and uh, you know, you see him there. He always has hundreds of people around him. It seems like. Tim, how, how special a moment was it? When you and Jerome went back to Notre Dame after the Hall of Fame, uh, man, that was you know I mean you know I hate using the word surreal because you hear athletes say that kind of stuff all the time, but if it was a surreal moment, it, it was it was that time, man. You know, to be standing on that field, knowing that you know it all had started there, and to be you know sort of combining it uh, all back there was. It was just one of those moments, man. One of those pinch yourself type moments, and uh, you know, I know it's because of that university I was able to move on and do great things in the NFL. So I was happy to be back and to be recognized. That was incredible. Tim, you achieved the heights in both college and pro, and have busts and plaques to show for it. Looking back, paychecks aside, was it more fun playing football on Saturdays or Sundays? Uh, well, look, that, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Saturdays are a lot more fun than than Sundays. You know, um, you know, Saturday. You know, whether you play good or bad, uh, there was going to be a party going on on the on campus. <laughs> there was going to be, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the whatever you're going to do on Sunday. The school was coming on Monday. You you knew everything was going to be all right. You know, I mean, there there's some point in, in in the pros, man, where you have a bad game and you don't know if you don't have a job on Monday or, or you know Tuesday, Wednesday. So I think from that standpoint, it, it's just a totally different kind of experience. Uh, obviously, I enjoyed my NFL experience immensely, but certainly college days, man, was um, was was a lot more fun, no doubt. Hey, Tim, thanks so much for the time, and and thanks for getting our producer to play that Notre Dame fight song. Really appreciate <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> well, you know, we can't talk about Notre Dame and not play the fight song. We, you you are correct, sir. Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much, Tim. <laughs> thanks, Tim. Thanks, thanks guys. Tim. Appreciate you. That was former Notre Dame and Raiders great Tim Brown. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Burger King presents breakfast stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two for four dollar croissant deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant You know, they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant and I gave one to this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. Welcome to Geico's Motorcycle Meanderings. Oh, man, this is great. I sure saved a lot of money by switching to Geico. Scored some big savings, and now I can use their mobile app 24-7 for all sorts of stuff. Life just makes sense now. You know what doesn't make sense? If a car is called a horseless carriage, why isn't a motorcycle called a horseless horse? Hmm. Maybe it would just be adding insult to injury for the out-of-work horses. Geico Motorcycle. Savings that make sense. Hi, Tom Bodette. Apparently, the hip thing for businesses to do these days is target millennials. So it may sound sus coming from this baby boomer, but Motel 6 is a V-great place for your squad to stay woke or asleep. 
The updated rooms are hashtag blessed with contemporary floors, bedding, and flat screen TVs that are totally on fleek. Plus, their prices are always low AF. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll keep it lit for you. Book online at motel6.com. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. Every day people ask me, can I still take advantage of today's low rates? Is it still a good time to refinance? The answer is yes. Now's a great time to call Quicken Loans at 800-QUICKEN. The rate today on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.19%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to quickenloans.com. That's 800-QUICKEN. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. In the developing world, more than 400 children are born every day with a cleft lip and or palate. In many developing countries, children with untreated clefts live in isolation. They struggle to eat, speak, and breathe. Many are mocked and teased without mercy. Some are even abandoned. Today, we're inviting listeners to join Smile Train. Smile Train empowers local doctors to do a simple corrective surgery for as little as $250, and it's 100% free for the child's family. To learn more, please visit SmileTrain.org. That's SmileTrain.org. When I grow up, I want to make a pizza with the most cheese and the most pepperoni at the nation's best price. Six dollars. It's going to be the best pizza ever. Sorry, kid. It's been done. Introducing the new Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pizza, a large pizza with the most cheese and the most pepperoni at the nation's best price. But my mom said... This much cheese and pepperoni is what dreams are made of. Come get a large, hot and ready, extra most bestest pizza for just six bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Gosselin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. I want winners. Hey, Ron Borges. Yes, sir. You know where the best place to have breakfast is? Uh, Yes, I do. How about a nice hot croissant? You are correct, sir. In fact, now at Burger King, you can get two croissant witch breakfast sandwiches for just $4. You heard me, two for $4. Croissant witch, only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. Well, speaking of winners, we've got one on the line with us. Our first guest, Paul Warfield, is one of the greatest players in both Ohio State and NFL history. The 11th overall pick, the 1964 NFL draft. Paul went on to play in eight Pro Bowls and win three NFL championships. He won his first title with the Cleveland Browns in 64. That one hurts. It was the Baltimore Colts. My Baltimore Colts. Wow. And then won back-to-back Super Bowls with the Miami Dolphins in 1972 and 73. Member of the 1970s NFL All-Decade team, he averaged 20 yards per career catch and became a first ballot Hall of Famer. He also won a national championship at Ohio State in 1961, and he's here today to talk about his days as a Buckeye. Paul, thanks for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you gentlemen this afternoon. Paul, you're from Ohio, becoming a prep football star in Warring at Harding High School. Was there any doubt that as an Ohio, as an Ohio kid you'd continue your football career at Ohio State? Well, uh, uh, most kids who grew up in Ohio, and certainly during that period of time, uh, were definitely going to, if an opportunity presented itself, be at the Ohio State University. Woody Hayes was a very persuasive negotiator, and the Buckeyes, of course, had uh, legendary status at that time, as they do to this very day. Most kids who were growing up in the state of Ohio were headed towards Ohio State. Uh, how did uh, uh, playing for Woody impact your, your career and your life? I look at uh, legendary Coach Hayes as uh, certainly 
uh, not only a great teacher of fundamentals in football, which certainly uh, was great preparation for me at the next level, but uh, more than that, he was a humanist and an individual who had great compassion, although using those terms are kind of hard for others outside of the state of Ohio to relate to when seeing him on the sidelines. But uh, uh, he's very, very interested in uh, all of the young men that he coached, uh, having uh, certainly an opportunity to transition from football into uh, whatever their careers were going to be. And he was very concerned about that. He's very concerned about country. He's very concerned about society and all of those things. The trade from the Browns to the Dolphins in 70, that come as a surprise to you? I mean, you spent your whole life in Ohio, high school, college, pro. All of a sudden, you're headed south. Were you surprised by that trade? Shocked would be a better word <laughs> uh, to a certain extent, but uh, yes, very surprised. I, at that point, had spent six years in Cleveland. Felt like uh, my career was obviously headed in the right direction, uh, very much a part of their Cleveland offensive philosophy. And when I was called on the morning, not necessarily of the draft, but just slightly before the draft to be informed that uh, I would be going uh, to the Miami Dolphins. And at that time, the merger of both leagues had not been complete. It would be completed in that year, 1970. Uh, it was uh, quite a surprise to me. Of course, you go to the Dolphins and you play in that perfect team, 72. A lot of people think that was the greatest team of all time. What made that group special? Well, uh, before I answer this question, let me just say this. Uh, it was a great as I indicated, shocked to be going to the Dolphins. They were one of the worst teams in a new league. The AFL was an upstart league at that point where the conversion was going to take place. Of course, unbeknownst to me, the last season that I would play with Cleveland was the 1969 season. I had no idea that once I went to training camp, several months later after the season had been completed and right before the next collegiate draft, that I would be leaving a perennial winning team and going to, as I read an article in Sports Illustrated before going to training camp in the year 1969, and I was covering Tex Small, a former writer for Sports Illustrated, was covering pro football from the standpoint that the merger would be complete after the year. And so as I was reading through his report on pro football, I knew all the teams in the National Football League for uh, you know, some reason. I said, well, let me take a look at some of these teams over in the old AFL, or new AFL, as it were. And so as I was thumbing through the pages, I come across the Miami Dolphins, and the headline read, the worst team in pro football. <laughs> and so obviously I said, well, geez, I don't want to read about them. You know? So I'm thumbing through to see about the other AFL teams. Now let me reverse myself and go you know, fast forward again in which I will say <laughs> I'm reading about all of this and now I get a telephone call and the first thing that pops into my mind is that article that I read months earlier that I'm going from one of the best teams in pro football to the absolute worst <laughs> team in pro football. So uh, again, uh, I was quite, quite astonished by that, but the experience of going down and play. Ten days later, I began to feel a little bit better after the trade, which I learned, you know, Don Shula was leaving Baltimore uh, to go to Miami and uh, had great respect for his contribution to the National Football League. Uh, wow. He uh, hadn't won a Super Bowl at that point, but for years while Green Bay was ruling the roost, 
uh, the Baltimore uh, Colts uh, were finishing just right behind uh, Green Bay. And so uh, I knew Shula was a great, great coach, and uh, I felt a little at ease. And then things came together amazingly quickly down there, even in the first year. And uh, from that point on, it got better and better, uh, largely in part to, I think, a couple of things. First of all, a great young coach came from Baltimore. And then uh, some of the acquisitions made by uh, an executive with the Miami staff by the name of Joe Thomas were right on the money and acquiring other talents from the old league, which I'll call the NFL, and inducing those talents, such as Marv Fleming, who had played with the Green Bay Team Championships teams and the first two Super Bowl winning teams as a tight end. Willie Richardson, the late Willie Richardson, came also from Baltimore with Shula. And, you know, there were some ups and downs in that first year. But uh, it all pulled together, and almost overnight uh, we became a championship team. We're speaking with Hall of Fame receiver Paul Warfield on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at at talkoffamenet. And, Paul, speaking of uh, those Woody Hayes teams at Ohio State, you were in the same backfield with a couple other first-round NFL draft picks. It's Bob Ferguson and Matt Snell, of course, of the Jets. Were there ever not enough footballs to go around? <laughs> well, uh, Coach Hayes enjoyed what was called a fullback quarterback, ironically, oriented offense. Uh, it was from the OT formation uh, series, and uh, the fullback was the uh, featured runner in the backfield. It was the uh, old blood and guts, uh, three yards in a cloud of dust, not particularly made for or suited for an individual of my dimensions uh, at that time. I was barely uh, 190 pounds, more like 185 pounds at, at six foot. And so I wasn't the grind them out kind of player, but Bob Ferguson was uh, uh, certainly perfectly suited for it. Uh, Matt Snell also was in that back, uh, backfield, and uh, he later, uh, of course, went on to play for the New York Jets and with their Super Bowl winning team, in which uh, Joe Namath made that uh, historic pronouncement of the defeat of the Baltimore Colts. Uh, uh, Matt Snell, ironically, had a great, great game. Matt was a big back, over 200 pounds, more like 220 pounds, six foot two, and uh, probably uh, adequately built for that style of offense. But uh, basically, Bob Ferguson did most of the running in that attack. Paul, you are one of the 77 first-round draft picks produced by the Ohio State University. Only Southern Cal has produced more. What makes Ohio State such a prolific supplier of NFL talent? Well, certainly um, great coaching, and Coach Hayes was there for uh, a number of years. And and uh, But even before Coach Hayes, uh, Paul Brown uh, coached there. And uh, during a period just before World War II, uh, went on to professional football after World War II ended. Uh, there's been legendary coaches, Coach Paul Brown, Woody Hayes, and in the modern era, of course, now, Urban Meyer has come back home to the state of Ohio and Ohio State University, where in his earlier years he was a young coach on the staff of Earl Bruce. So I think it's uh, the fact that there's been great coaches who have produced great teams, and uh, they certainly uh, have the, uh, looked primarily in the area of the state of Ohio, where uh, high school football certainly doesn't necessarily rank second to none in this nation. Uh, certainly there are other great states, that, such as California, for scholastic football, as well as Texas and Pennsylvania. But the state of Ohio has had uh, a legacy in high school football that's second to none. 
What's your uh, favorite memory of the horseshoe? Oh, <laughs> well, I guess uh, playing against the University of Michigan because uh, Coach Hayes indicated that um, uh, you're at Ohio State University, first of all, to get a fine education, but secondly, to um, play and beat the University of Michigan. And so uh, having that uh, opportunity to play against Michigan uh, during the three years of eligibility because uh, I came on the other side in which uh, uh, freshmen were, no, were not eligible to play uh, in varsity competition. Uh, I enjoyed uh, three uh, successive uh, years of beating the university in which uh, two of them occurred at Ohio Stadium, uh, then uh, had a maximum seating capacity of 82,000 people, but now it's well over 100,000 people, and uh, I was just down there at this past uh, season uh, during their homecoming game against Northwestern, and uh, it's even a, a more different place to sit as a fan with uh, the additional 20,000 seats, uh, making it over 100,000 than it was uh, to play in there uh, years ago and when the seating capacity was 82,000. Paul, you just ruined Rick's day. He went to Michigan State. He breaks <laughs> out in prickly heat anytime anyone mentions <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> Well, I have great respect for uh, University of Michigan, and uh, certainly, uh, ironically, I was at Ohio State when one of Woody Hayes' top assistants was uh, Glenn Edward, known as Bo Schindeckler. And uh, he was then a staunch Ohio State man, but he went on to greater legend in revitalizing that uh, great football tradition at Michigan. And in addition to that, I have a a number of friends and associates uh, who are University of Michigan graduates, and uh, we kind of enjoy egging one another about certainly the rivalry. Paul, you were a two-time All-Big Ten halfback at Ohio State, halfback, who ran That's the ball far, yes. far more than you caught it. And you also played mm-hmm. some cornerback in college, but you became, of yes. course, as we know, a dynamic wideout in the NFL. When did that evolution to receiver begin? Well, ironically, it began uh, during a first uh, minicamp that I attended when minicamps were uh, – nominal or new things in pro football, the Cleveland Browns wanted to take a look at all of their draft choices for the year 1964, and so we were called in for all things a one-day minicamp. Of course, minicamps last anywhere from now from seven days to almost two weeks, but we were called in, and uh, uh, the Browns had drafted me as a cornerback in reality, but they knew I had played a little bit of what was considered to be wide receiver at Ohio State, and so uh, they decided uh, during the drills of the one-day minicamp to just take a look at me as a wide receiver, and a decision was made during that workout session that although they had drafted me with the intent of playing cornerback, that they were going to work me as a wide receiver. Now, I'd like to add to that that uh, I had no experience. I really basically you know, knew nothing about what I was doing in terms of pass pattern running, running or any of that sort of thing. They arranged for a retired player by the name of Ray Renfro, who had been one of their outstanding receivers for many years, to come back to training camp and be my personal mentor. The fundamentals of what he taught me about pass pattern execution were relevant then as they are today. Well, he did a great job, and you were a great student, Paul. Hey, thanks so much for the time, and of course, thanks for the memories. Well, thanks for having me on. It's a great pleasure to reminisce and uh, talk about Ohio State, the NFL, and I greatly appreciate that. Thanks, Paul. This is the Talk of Fame Network. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories.
Here's Pete, Tony, and the two for four dollar croissant deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant You know, they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant and I gave one to this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Goslin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. I want winners. Some 40 million Americans wake up to a Gillette shave, and Gillette is working to bring you America's number one shave at lower prices. So go to GilletteOnDemand.com and get your first and fourth orders free. The clock is ticking on our first hour, so time is of the essence. With Clark Awol, we've asked fellow Hall of Fame voter Ira Kaufman, who covers the Buccaneers for JoeBucksFan.com, to join us for the two-minute drill, which is brought to you by the Burger King Breakfast. Welcome aboard, Ira. Now let's get started. Derek, the whistle, please. The NFL Network has released the annual list of top 100 players. Who'd be your number one? Uh, it's got to it's be absolutely Brady. There's no question about it. He's got the rings, Goose. He's got the pedigree. He's still going in his 40s. Uh, this was the biggest no-brainer of, of that whole uh, affair, Brady. That's why we have you here, Ira. No-brainer. Look, he was number two last year in the thing. He led the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Uh, so I, I got to go with Tom Terrific, and I just hope somewhere Clark Judge is happy. The Mets have promoted Tim Tebow in Class A. How soon before we see him at City Field in Flushing Meadows? What a Bush League move, Goose. Moving him up from Columbia. Well, you know, if he hit 240, he'd probably be at City Field already. Uh, <laughs> this is absurd. It shows you that uh, the only reason we're talking about the Mets is because of Tim Tebow. I think he's on the fast track, and I don't think it's surprising if he's at City Field by September, gentlemen. The only way I see him at City Field uh, is if the Jets bring him back to tank another game and Giant Stadium loses all electrical power. <laughs> <laughs> Warren Sepp, Warren Moon, or Warren Beatty? Warren Beatty, gentlemen, you're so vain. Warren Beatty, is there is there a lady, uh, you know, is there a singer or a movie star in the '60s, '70s, '80s, and '90s that he didn't bed down? Borges, I think he's got you beat. Dude, only by a little bit. But I'm going with Shirley MacLaine. Unlike this list, Warren Beatty's sister is the one who's no joke. Martellus Bennett says Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterbacks ever played with. Does that knock him off Tom Brady's Christmas card list? Uh, you know what? It, it's not outrageous. Uh, now, now, if he said that about Josh McCown, we got a problem, gentlemen. Uh, but Rodgers is, you know, he's number six on the list. Uh, Brady's number one because he's got the rings. I don't have a problem with it. Brady does. Giselle does. I don't. Let me tell you, if he was playing for Chicago, he'd be saying Mike Glennon. Politics equals pass reception. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the end of our, that's the end of our first hour, but stay where you are coming up. You're going to hear from former uh, Lions coach Jim Caldwell and also take a tour of the NFC North. This is a Talk of Fame Network. Hi, Tom Bodette, trying to align my chakras around this hot yoga thing. Yep, they finally found a way to make working out even more uncomfortable. Well, at least with Motel 6, you've got one less thing to sweat. They've got clean, comfortable, and now completely updated rooms at a great low price. So the only thing you're stretching is your dollar. Sounds like my kind of place to namaste. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll leave the light and the AC on for you. Book online at motel6.com. 
Introducing the new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. It's a mix of hand-spun vanilla-flavored soft serve, tasty bits of Lucky Charm cereal, and memories of watching Saturday morning cartoons in your PJs. The new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. Relive your childhood in a cup. Maybe it's the magical marshmallow pieces flying up your straw. Maybe it's the magically delicious taste. Whatever the reason, it's a good reason to head over to a Burger King restaurant and try one now. Only at Burger King. Also, try the Fruit Loop Shake now at Burger King. Shakes available for a limited time only. Participation varies. Progressive presents Mindflowness with Flow. Your mind is a blank slate as you enter total relaxation. Safe driver, paperless, multi-car. They are wrapping their savings around you. Like the tinfoil that wraps around your hot dog at a ball game, which for some reason costs twelve fifty. Switch to Progressive and surround yourself with savings. Visit Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. Think you can't manage the down payment it takes to purchase a new home? Think again. You could move into a $150,000 home with as little as $1,500 down with our 1% down payment option. The rate today on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.19%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to quickenloans.com. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Welcome to the Talk of Fame Network. I got a good deal on those boys. The scouts said they showed a lot of promise. With your Hall of Fame voters. Don't act like you're not impressed. Ron Borges. You want to punch me right now, but you won't. Rick Gosselin. I don't know what we're yelling about! And Clark Judge. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Go! Vacation's all we ever wanted, right, Ron? You got that right. Where are you? It sounds as if you've already started your vacation. Where are you? I, I'm at the tra- I'm at the Travelers Golf Tournament down in Connecticut, watching Jordan Spieth doing his thing and uh, waiting to grab my clubs and go on vacation too. Wow, Gooseman! Sounds like uh, Ron has a head start on us. Uh, maybe he's at the first tee. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's at the ninth tee hole. I'm not sure. Goose, where are you going Got on it. your vacation? <laughs> Well, I'm going to spend some time in Chicago. You know, summer is the time to go north, get out of that Texas heat. I love Texas, but not in July and August. You going to a Cubs game? Probably not. Ron, I said 17th <laughs> hole. Are you on the 17th hole? No, the 19th hole. I said you're on the 19th hole. Exactly right. 19th hole, that's the, that's the best hole for me. It's wet there, <laughs> but we're happy about it. There you go. Well, I'm happy about being on vacation, too. I'm off to Maine and Canada. Maybe see a Sea Dogs game in Portland. Uh, maybe get over to Quebec. Love that uh, Quebec City. Maybe, Ron, get over to your place. Okay. Uh, Come on maybe down. Maybe Sea Dogs in Quebec. You'll be at another golf tournament. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're gone, in case you haven't noticed. We are gone. We're on vacation. But our show and our guests, well, they're not. In fact, as we've done the past two years while we're away, we let our best of series play. And this time, it's quarterbacks running backs and wide receivers who are going to do the talking while we're away. And there are plenty of them. In fact, you're going to get eight of them each week. And, Ron, you got to trust us. They're good, right? They're good. They're noteworthy. And they're worth a second oh, listen, right? Right. right. They're, they're all worth a second listen. And the, and the beauty of the second listen is, is you don't have to listen to us babbling in between. <laughs> so it's pretty good. You just get great uh, athletes telling stories. That's right. Hey, Ron, I'd watch that hook to the left. Watch that, would you please? Stay clear of the trees. Hey, in, in, in case you're interested, and I am certain you are, we get back. Uh, Goose, what, when do we get back, Goose? 
First show of season four is Wednesday, July 26th, and we've got Falcons coach Dan Quinn, NFL Ooh. MVP Matt Ryan lined up to talk about any potential Super Bowl hangover by the Falcons. Well, July 26th, that's the week before the 2017 Hall of Fame induction. Hey, is that when we get Jerry and Jimmy on pay-per-view? Of course, Jerry Jones will be there. So will Kurt Warner, LT, Morton Anderson, Kenny Easley, Terrell Davis, Jason Taylor. You know, we will be too. But that's, that's in us. the future. Right now, we're on vacation. Catch you down the road, guys. See ya. This is Greg Olson, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two-for-four-dollar croissantwich deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissantwich. You know they're just two-for-four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissantwich, and I gave one to this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissantwich deal is two-for-four-dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissantwich sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and Clark Judge. You play to win the game. Just a reminder, the Talk of Fame Network is sponsored by GEICO, where just 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to GEICO.com. You know something? You probably should have gone 15 minutes ago. Our next guest was one of the most productive receivers in NFL history. Henry Ellard caught 814 career passes, and when he retired after the 1990 season, he ranked third all-time in receiving yards with 13,777. That's a lot. And 18 years later, he still ranks 13th. He's been eligible for Canton for 13 years now, but he's never been a Hall of Fame finalist, much less a semifinalist. But he is among the 94 candidates on the preliminary list for the class of 2017. He's also the subject of a Ron Borges article supporting him for the Hall. And he's here with us today. Henry, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Henry, 68% of all Hall of Famers won championships. How much do you think it's hurt your candidacy that you never played on a team that won a title? I think that comes into in play a little bit. But at the same time, I'm thinking of my teammate Jackie Slater. Eric Dickerson, Jack Youngblood uh, never won championships. As well as a few other guys. I know Andre Reed was in four Super Bowls, never won a championship as well. And I believe Chris Carter's in that same uh, category as well as Steve Largent and some other guys. Charlie Jordan, I think, is another one that comes to mind. But yet, they got that opportunity to, to put on that gold jacket. Now, you had 4,000-yard uh, receiving season with the Rams. Then you had three more with the Redskins. And I'm wondering, uh, Henry, how much do you think it may have hurt your candidacy that you know, your brilliance was kind of spread not only over two teams, but, you know, coast to coast. Uh, and if you think if you had played all 16 years in one of those places and had 7,000-yard seasons with one team, maybe the uh, Hall of Fame voters would have their eyes open? I don't know if that really uh, comes into play. It, it might. I, I couldn't tell you, but I would tell you this. I think it shows the versatility of a guy to go from one team to another and still continue to produce at a high level. Uh, which is not always an easy thing to do. Um, so I don't know if that really comes into play. I still prove the point that I can still play at a high level, even though it's with a different team. Um, I think really what hurt more than anything else is once I left the Rams and the Rams left L.A. and, went and moved to St. Louis. <laughs> so I think you kind of get lost in that, in that move there more than anything else. That way you don't have the coverage now in L.A. from where I had a majority of my career. All that moved to St. Louis, and, 
and I'm not known in St. Louis, uh, that's for sure. We're speaking with former wide receiver Henry Ellard on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can reach us or find us at uh, talkoffamenetwork.com. And, and Henry, um, let's just go straight to the heart of the matter. We've been talking about how you haven't been a finalist, much less a semifinalist for the Hall of Fame, but you certainly have the numbers and um, you have the place in history. Direct question, do you think you belong in the Hall? I think I do. Um, when I kind of compare myself to guys that's already there, the only question or something that I'd always had asked is if I would have had the opportunity to play with some of the quarterbacks these Hall of Famers have played with, compared to in my career, I played with 10 different quarterbacks, and yet was still the body of work, I think, speaks for itself, even though I've worked and played with 10 different quarterbacks. Compared to some of these guys, they got a Hall of Famer after another Hall of Famer quarterback that they played with. I never got that opportunity to play with a Hall of Fame quarterback. So who knows <laughs> what might have happened if I had that, that opportunity. You know, yeah, that sounds very much like what Tim Brown actually said to us uh, a couple of years ago. And it took him a long time to get in, but he finally did get in. Oh, good. I mean, and that's, and I mean, that's really what I would speak on more than anything else. The Joe Montana, the Steve Youngs. You know, the Troy Aikman of the well, Bill, uh, Jim Kelly's of the world, you know, that, that became Hall of Famers. Uh, I, just, I can only, you know, what might have been if I would have had that opportunity. Henry, when I look at receivers, the first thing I check is average yards per catch. Lots of players caught footballs, but what did you do with the football after you caught it? And that's what separates the good from the great in my mind. At 35 years of age, in your 14th season, you caught 52 passes and averaged 19.5 yards per reception. You averaged almost 17 yards per catch in your career. How were you able to continually get down the field and make plays even as you were aging? I took a lot of work, uh, pride in my work ethic, uh, during, especially during the offseason, especially as you get a little older. Father Times tries to, to, to slow you down, but I, that's something I really worked on on the track uh, as a track athlete and have the track background. That's something I'll always try to do is stay on the track and just work on my speed and, and, and keep that ahead of myself as much as I can. And I rely on my, my route running skills is one of the big things. You know, you can ask the, the prime time, the Deion Sanders of the world, the Daryl Greens of the world, all some of these corners that I've played against over the years, and they would tell you pretty much the same thing. Once it gets to the top of a route is where I, I'm at an advantage because I'll create separation. That's what I relied on throughout my career. Here's an incredible stat that I'm sure you know, but most voters uh, of our acquaintance, I'm sure, do not know. Uh, in 1994, 96% of your receptions went for first downs. Wow. That's 71 out of 74. I don't know what the hell you were doing on the other three plays, but that's pretty good. <laughs> 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 and, 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 you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's an NFL record. You had 1,400 yards when receiving that season. You averaged 18 point yards, uh, 18.9 yards a catch, and that was at the age of 33. So how did the NFL passing game evolved from the 1980s when you started until the mid-1990s when you finished? i tell you what. Um, I was talking to Eric Dickerson just the other day, and uh, first thing I said to him when I was on the phone is I had, I had to thank you for, for uh, helping me to become a better blocker. Because i tell you what, we ran the ball left, right, and up the middle. There. He carried us on, on, on his back a majority of the first four years of my career, and that's one of the reasons I became a punt returner. I wanted to find a way to get my hands on the football <laughs> to try to help the team any way, <laughs> any way I can. I mean, he's a great run. I love blocking for him. But I tell you what, it was something else. But it wasn't until Ernie Van Peebley came over from San Diego 
with, of course, the Ed Coriel uh, passing offense. And I remember that first meeting I had with, with Ernie. At that time, I was probably catching 30, 40, if I was lucky, 50 passes in a, in a season. And he told me, he said, Henry, you can catch 70 balls in this offense. And I looked at him and I said, okay, Ernie, I, I know you're a great coach, but come on. And sure enough, that, that first year, I believe, which was 1988, uh, I actually caught 86 balls that year. And, I, and it just kind of – my career kind of took off from that point on. And I'm thankful for it. You know, that's the shoot. That was one of the reasons at the end of my career I went to New England and played in New England because he was a coordinator. They had lost a couple of receivers. He knew I knew the offense. So, sure enough, I wouldn't, if it was anybody else, I probably wouldn't have done I would have went on and retired. But the fact that it was Ernie Zampese, sure enough, I went over there, played for like five weeks until they got the guys back. And then from that point, I left and went back to Washington with risk and lost the guy and finished up my career. We're speaking with Henry Elliott on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us at thetalkofhamenetwork.com. And, Henry, uh, these numbers are astonishing. I mean, when Ron said 71 out of 74 first downs, geez, uh, that's astonishing. But then you mentioned the punt return, and Goose told me you led the NFL in punt returns in 83 and then led the <laughs> NFC in both 84 and 85 in punt returns and averaged more than 13 yards a return. I think he scored four touchdowns. Um, I, I guess yeah. my question is, is there anything else you could have done? I mean, it seems like he did it all. To get the attention of the Hall of Fame Selection Committee, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't get it. I mean, yeah, with the, the situation I was in, I thought I did everything to the best of my ability and try to take advantage of every opportunity is, is what it was. Like I say, given the fact that I play with so many different quarterbacks, I, I thought that uh, my body of work speaks for itself. And we got about uh, 45 seconds here. What would a gold jacket mean to you? Oh, it would mean the world. I mean, that's the pinnacle of any NFL uh, player's career. I mean, to, to finally end up on top, of it, you know, and putting on that gold jacket, it's a dream come true. No different than as a kid watching football on TV and getting that opportunity to finally play the game, to live out a dream, to finally put that gold jacket on. I mean, it just it, it just finishes off everything that I've ever dreamed about is when, when it comes to playing uh, at a professional level. Have you been to Canton? Yes, I have. Or one of your teammates? Yeah, uh, no, I just happened to, we have to play in a couple of Hall of Fame oh, games. Okay. And that's when I was there walking through it and, and seeing everything and just walking through that place. And, but just to be mentioned uh, with some of these guys is, is a blessing in itself. You know, the kid growing up, I never would have thought, my friends that I grew up never would have thought it would ever be an officer to be mentioned uh, in the same breath with these guys. It was just truly uh, an honor. Hey, Henry, we got to run, but uh, thanks so much for joining us and best of luck living out that dream. I mean it. Hope it hope it happens for you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Henry. Henry. That was former Rams wide receiver Henry Ellard. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Now, the reminder that the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. Hi, this is Joe Klecko, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two for four dollar croissant sandwich deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant sandwich. You know, they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant sandwich, and I get one of this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant sandwich deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwich sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and Clark Judge. Our next guest knows plenty about Southern Cal. He played there, he starred there, and now he's the athletic director there. 
And I'm speaking, of course, of former star wide receiver Lynn Swan, who was a consensus All-America at Southern Cal, a first-round NFL draft pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers, a four-time Super Bowl champion, as well as a Super Bowl MVP, and a 2001 Hall of Fame inductee. Lynn Swan, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Lynn, maybe some of our listeners don't know, but you attended the same high school in San Mateo as Tom Brady. How much pressure was there for you to stay in state, and was the choice to go to Southern Cal an easy one? Well, there was probably more pressure, or people had a preconceived idea that I should go to Stanford as opposed to Southern California. My high school quarterback, Jesse Freitas Jr., whose father, Hmm. Jesse Freitas Sr., played for the San Francisco Dons, uh, was uh, at Stanford, and he was a year ahead of me. Uh, So a lot of folks in the Bay Area felt like that was going to be where I would go to school. Uh, Plunkett was there already. Uh, They threw the ball a lot. And so there were a lot of folks that thought, well, we'll just drive down the uh, peninsula and we'll see him play for the next four years. Well, the other thing that's interesting to me, uh, Lynn, is I believe in the 1970 CIF State Championship track meet, uh, you beat Randy Williams in the long jump, who went on and won the Olympic gold medal in 72 and the silver medal in 76. Why didn't you pursue track and field and just keep on jumping? Well, in in, in 1971, uh, when I was a sophomore at USC, we were 6-4-1 second consecutive year that we did not make the Rose Bowl after being in the Rose Bowl. I think it was three consecutive years uh, prior to that. It might have been more, but three for sure. And John McKay felt like uh, the team was too talented to post a 6-4-1 and record. Uh, it was a terrible tie against UCLA at the end of the season. And so he kind of said, uh, look, everybody's going to be at spring practice. Uh, unless uh, the head coach of the baseball team or basketball team or track team, whatever other sport you thought you could play, came to him and personally could convince him that you didn't have to be at spring practice. And at that time, the track coach felt like he couldn't come in and make that argument for me. Uh, And so uh, I was at spring practice. And that kind of took me out of uh, the whole track season, did not get a chance to compete, but maybe that's maybe that's good for me, you know. Not that not that I would have beaten Randy Williams uh, the next time because he did a terrific job. He won the gold, but I always keep saying that you know. Well, I did beat him once early <laughs> in his career, uh, but he continued to improve and did quite well. Led in 1972, Southern Cal went 12 and 0, including a demolition of Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, and you were voted the top team in the country. And as a footnote, I was in the Coliseum press box night. You returned a punt 92 yards for a touchdown, and you whipped Michigan State 51 to six. Keith yes. Jackson once said that was the greatest college team he'd ever ever seen. How about you? How good was that club? Well, I, I think we were certainly the best in 1972. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when you look at the guys who were drafted and played in the NFL uh, from that team. Uh, certainly the record would indicate that uh, there was an ample amount of uh, talent there. And John McKay's coaching staff, uh, you know, was you know, was a student and the coach was correct that, you know, there was too much talent on the team to be 6-4-1 in the previous season. Uh, and we kind of, you know, bore that out. So whether we, we're the best of all time, maybe the best up to that time, maybe the best for quite a bit afterwards, uh, there are a lot of really good college football teams that have come down the pike since then. You know, and, and for my money, 
uh, whether it's college football or professional football. Uh, the game has changed. The science of sport has changed. The training techniques have changed. The nutrition has changed. And so it's hard to compare sometimes, you know, one decade after another, or, you know, maybe it's two to every, every two decades. Maybe you can, you can compare those teams for a 20 year period of time, but you, you can't necessarily go back 30 years, 40 years and say, who's the best. I bet you'd like your chances if, you, if that team was playing, though. <laughs> well, Pretty good team. I, 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 I like my chances, but I, I'd prefer to see what would happen to a guy like Joe Green, who played for North Texas and uh, was uh, you know, uh, in, in the Pro Bowl and, and a great player, what he could have done with today's training and conditioning and what kind of player he might have been uh, in, the, in the game today. Uh, that would have been something to see. <laughs> Lynn, how did... How did... Uh, John McKay impact you, impact you as a player and as a person. You know, it just his his way he went about things. I mean, uh, Coach McKay coached the coaches, uh, and they in turn coached the players. Uh, he was organized. Uh, he had a philosophy. Everybody adhered to his philosophy and what he wanted to do. Uh, he had a habit of, uh, you know, when you lost a game, he wasn't going to beat you up too much. But when you won a game, he wasn't going to have you go out and thinking so highly of yourself that you didn't have to get better. Uh, and that worked for him. He could be very blunt at times. I recall a game at Washington, and it was raining. It was cold. Uh, we were ahead uh, by a little bit, I think, at halftime. And but he came in, and, and the whole speech was about getting out there, executing, put the ball on the ground, run the clock out, and get out of this cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Michael Irvin on here in uh, talking about the University of Miami uh, in his days there, and uh, we asked him who was his most talented team, and he gave us a defensive back that, frankly, we'd never heard of. I kind of wondered, who was the most talented teammate you played with at SC? Well, there are a lot of guys, I think, that uh, could fit that category, but uh, probably none more than Sam Cunningham, who was our fullback, number 39, uh, drafted in the first round to the New England Patriots. I think he was uh, placed on their wall of uh, honor yep. of their Hall of Fame. Uh, he was uh, the star fullback. Uh, in a game that USC played in 1970 against Alabama uh, that really was the key and the impetus for Bear Bryant at that time to recruit black athletes uh, at the University of Alabama, unlocking uh, the opportunity for many young African-American men to young men to uh, play in the SEC. Can you compare the rivalries of the Steelers and Raiders in the 70s with UCLA and USC when you're in college? They're two different things. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's recruiting versus drafting, number one, recruiting in college and guys you played against in high school and, and things of that nature, uh, you know, going to cross-town rivals. It's the alumni and, and it's, it's your youth that uh, the alumni celebrate every time they come there. It's that, that loyalty. Uh, you know, the, the professional rivalries, especially, you know, the Steelers and the Raiders, totally different in terms of the comp- level of competition being across the country. It's built up in the fact that there were, you know, that there were some bad blood just uh, as opposed to a competitive rivalry. Uh, so I think those things make a big difference. Yeah, there's no George Atkinson at UCLA probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, there wasn't. <laughs> or anyplace else. <laughs> Hey, Lynn, how differently do you view football as an AD than you did as a player? Well, I, I view it differently in terms of uh, uh, the management. You know, I don't coach. 
Uh, I'm not trying to coach a position. I'm not trying to coach the team. Uh, I'm trying to be an asset and a benefit to the head coach uh, who has that responsibility and make sure that he has the tools he needs to build an organization, to build a coaching staff, to have the right trainers, to have the right people supporting him, uh, enabling him to go out and recruit the right players to be able to coach and build. So it's it's the management of people as opposed to the X's and O's of a game. Lynn, what was your favorite memory from your time on campus as a student? Graduation. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. Look, we had some great football teams and uh, some great teammates and a lot of wonderful experiences in college and, and made lifelong friends. But uh, to have been here for four years, to have my degree from uh, USC School of Journalism, to uh, graduate on time, uh, and, and then you add to that, uh, to, be able to have played in two Rose Bowls, to have won a national championship, uh, you know, with my teammates, uh, you know, all of the team goals, I think, are the most important. That was great. That was, that was actually the, the very best. That was an exclamation mark on my four years. As the AD now, obviously this tremendous history of USC football that goes back almost, it seems, forever, back to Howard Jones at least. What are you hoping to see happen with USC football under your leadership? Well, it's not just USC football. It's with all 21 of our sports. I'd like to see all of our athletes uh, get a degree. Uh, and whatever amount of time they're here at USC, uh, to at least be on track to get that degree in four years. And many of our athletes, I think, are capable of getting it in three or three and a half years, uh, staying in summer school, working out, conditioning, those kinds of things, adding more credits, uh, even coming away with uh, credits towards a master's degree. So that's, that's the primary thing. And then their college experience to be able to be on a winning team, to be on a championship team, to play in the Rose Bowl, to win a Rose Bowl, to win a national championship. Uh, you know, our women's soccer team won the national championship uh, uh, this this last fall. Our, our men's water polo team competed for a national championship. Our women's water polo team is playing well. Track and field under Coach Gilbert is doing extraordinarily well. Our women's beach volleyball team has won back-to-back national championships, and, and they, they want to win the third. Our men's and women's golf team is ranked in the top five in the country playing extraordinarily well. So we want them to have that winning experience because I think it helps them through life. And the third thing is is to have a great college experience. Uh, you know, for, for student-athletes, it was a lot of work being on the team. Lynn, thanks for your time, and, and the best of luck this season and all of your coming years at Southern Cal. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Uh, that was Hall of Fame wide receiver Lynn Swan, now the USC Athletic Director. Up next, you'll hear why it's not always good to spend the first on draft pick on a quarterback. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is Willie McGinnis, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by MyCleanPC. If your computer runs slowly, just log on to MyCleanPC.com for a free diagnosis. And within minutes, you can download software that can clean up what may be slowing your computer down. That's MyCleanPC.com. Talk of Fame Network is also brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. Hey, this is Vince Papali from Invincible, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network, an Invincible team for sure. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two-for-four-dollar croissant deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant You know they're just two-for-four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant and I gave one to this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> 
You guys. The croissant deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. Welcome to Geico's Motorcycle Meanderings. Oh man, this is great. I sure saved a lot of money by switching to Geico. Scored some big savings and now I can use their mobile app 24-7 for all sorts of stuff. Life just makes sense now. You know what doesn't make sense? If a car is called a horseless carriage, why isn't a motorcycle called a horseless horse? Hmm. Maybe it would just be adding insult to injury for the out-of-work horses. Geico Motorcycle. Savings that make sense. Hi, Tom Bodet. Apparently, the hip thing for businesses to do these days is target millennials. So it may sound sus coming from this baby boomer, but Motel 6 is a V-great place for your squad to stay woke or asleep. The updated rooms are hashtag blessed with contemporary floors, bedding, and flat-screen TVs that are totally on fleek. Plus, their prices are always low AF. I'm Tom Bodet, and we'll keep it lit for you. Book online at motel6.com. There's people who care where I'm going And good friends who welcome me home So get a full tank of freedom Drive the American road And with a full tank of freedom Find your own highway We'll take you wherever you go Marathon, fueling the American spirit Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. Every day people ask me, can I still take advantage of today's low rates? Is it still a good time to refinance? The answer is yes. Now's a great time to call Quicken Loans at 800-QUICKEN. The rate today on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.19%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to quickenloans.com. That's 800-QUICKEN. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. In the developing world, more than 400 children are born every day with a cleft lip and or palate. In many developing countries, children with untreated clefts live in isolation. They struggle to eat, speak, and breathe. Many are mocked and teased without mercy. Some are even abandoned. Today, we're inviting listeners to join Smile Train. Smile Train empowers local doctors to do a simple corrective surgery for as little as $250, and it's 100% free for the child's family. To learn more, please visit smiletrain.org. That's smiletrain.org. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Clark Judge. Just a reminder, the Talk of Fame Network is sponsored by GEICO. We're just 15 minutes. can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to GEICO.com. And you probably should have gone 15 minutes ago. We're also sponsored by MyCleanPC.com. If your computer runs slowly and whose doesn't, go to MyCleanPC.com for a free diagnosis. And within minutes, you can activate MyClean software to clean up what may be slowing that computer down. That's MyCleanPC.com. Our first guest is another of the 26 semifinalists for the Hall of Fame's Class of 2017. Except there aren't many others like former Pittsburgh wide receiver Heinz Ward. And not just because he played his entire career, that would be 14 years, with one team, or that he appeared on Dancing with the Stars. Nope, Heinz Ward was a two-time Super Bowl champ, five-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, three-time Team MVP, Super Bowl MVP, and a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers all-time team. Moreover, he was his former teammate Alan Fanuck, I remind us last week, and Gucci remember this, 
Heinz Warlord was someone who changed the game at his position with his physical play. Heinz, thanks for joining us. No problem, guys. Hey, Heinz, I, I mentioned that Alan Fanica, who we had on last week and is also a Hall of Fame semifinalist, he said you changed the wide receiver position with your physical play, and, and most especially uh, a part of the game that most people don't notice, and as Alan said, it was blocking. That's what I did. That's what he did. He was really good at it. My question to you is, what was it about the non-receiving part of the game that you liked or that was a good fit for you? Well, I just think, you know, when I got drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, we're always known as a predominantly run team. Uh, you know, with, with Jerome Bettis, the bus, Hall of Famer. I mean, it was just it was just a part of the position that came with it. And, you know, playing under Coach Cowher, I mean, Coach Cowher, one of those guys who worked this way through the league. He was a special teams guy, but he appreciated guys doing the little things. So when I came in uh, onto the team in 98, you know, we weren't going to get a lot of attempts in the passing game. I think at the time they really asked Cordell to throw maybe 20, 25 attempts a game so you know me rotating in and out with some of the guys I really didn't get a lot of opportunities so the only way I can make a name for myself was in the run game is by blocking so to me you know I got more out of blocking and making a huge block just as much as I did converting on third downs or scoring a touchdown it was just a part of a kind of it came along with the position playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Heinz, blocking to most wide receivers is a hazard, not a responsibility. So do you have to dig down deep for that willingness to block? No question. I mean, I don't get incentives to block the way I did. I don't get paid any extra money. I did it because I wanted to. I, I enjoyed every aspect of the game. You know, I wanted to see what kind of way I can impact the game when I'm not getting the ball and and I've always took the approach of you know I was going to play within the rules I wasn't trying to you know end someone's career but at the same time I wasn't going to be I wasn't going to allow guys to hit me first it was kind of I was going to be on attack mode hit them before they hit me because you know going across the middle you know guys aren't going to tackle you softly <laughs> you know they're going to bring you down softly so I said well, if I got an opportunity I was going to try to hit them and me I, I listen I grew up playing on the defensive side I was a strong safety of my high school team and I was a quarterback on my team so I still had that defensive mentality in me and I, I was smart enough by playing the quarterback position, I understood the game. So a lot of times I was asked to go in and block linebackers. I was an extra pulling guard uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and, and I took pride in doing that. Now, Hines, I think the new bar for Hall of Fame qualification for receivers has got to be 1,000 career catches. You're sitting exactly on that number. What do 1,000 career catches say about a receiver? I just think it just speaks volumes, volumes about the consistency over the years. You know, for me, play with, I think, eight, nine different quarterbacks <laughs> over my career, predominantly playing in Pittsburgh where you have to deal with the elements. You're going on the road in Cleveland. You're going on the road in Cincinnati and Baltimore. So you never really knew kind of, you know, what weather conditions you have to deal with. But at the same time, you know, me reflecting back a thousand catches considering where my career started and, and, and being on a predominantly run team. Oh, man, you know, now I look at A.B. and all these guys catching passes 100. The catch 100 balls was a big deal. Now it's kind of the norm of, of the league now. So 
Uh, growing up in a time in my era, I mean, that was unheard of. I mean, the record before I broke it was, I think, career. I think Yancey Thigpen had 85 catches. So uh, to think about a 1,000 catches, considering uh, how my career started, being on a predominant, uh, predominant run oriented team i mean i just took pride and i wanted to make a name for myself through blocking and people just noticed hey this guy can catch the ball too oh he's scoring touchdowns as well and and i, I really prided myself on uh when it mattered the most and that was in the playoffs you know i was always i wanted to be the go-to guy i wanted to let my quarterbacks know when in doubt i'm a scratch claw do whatever it takes and uh, catch the ball but at the same time uh, I knew I had to set the tone for my offense. I was kind of the tone setter. Uh, I remember Coach Tomlin in the AFC Championship game against Baltimore Ravens. He came over to me and said, set the tone. I went out. Me and Ed Reed got into it in the first play. I got three guys on top of me, and I ended up with the penalty called on me. <laughs> so, you know, it, was, it was one of those. It was one of those. It was, it's okay to get a penalty. He looked over to me and said, okay, now we're ready. Let's go. It was kind of – to set the tone for the entire game. So I, I took great pride in doing that. That seems to happen in those Baltimore-Pittsburgh games, doesn't it, Hines? <laughs> uh, that, I can tell you what, that rivalry with so many great players, so many future Hall of Famers, to be a part of that, man, that rivalry made me who I was. It taught me everything to bring your A game each and every play. You know, and you knew it was going to be a combative game. And I figured, hey, everybody's considering Ed Reed a Hall of Famer one of the best safeties in the league. Well, before that game is over with, he's going to know who uh, number 86 is. And I, <laughs> I gave him nightmares. <laughs> I was going to him every time. You are correct, uh, sir. I, I took pride in that. <laughs> so. Well, we know who number 86 is. We're speaking with Hall of Fame semifinalist Heinz Ward on the Talk of Fame Network. And you can find us at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at at talkoffamenet. And Heinz, there are four wide receivers on the ballot for the class of 2017. That'd be you. Terrell Owens, Ike Bruce, and Torrey Holt. If you had to stand in front of the 48 voters today, and you're, you're talking to a couple of them right now, and, and, and tell them what sets you apart from the others, and I'm not suggesting you knock them, I, I don't mean that, but just what sets you apart, what, what do you want us to know that you may think that others don't understand about you, that others may miss. What would you What would you tell us if you're standing in front of us? Um, I would say, you know, I changed the game as far as blocking standpoints. I mean, yes, I know these guys have crazy stats all day, but I feel like stats are based on what type of system you're in. And for me, I took pride to be the best player that I could be in the system. I mean, to have a rule called after you, <laughs> they changed the rule because of me. I mean, that's that's flattering for me because, you know, being an offensive guy, not too many offensive guys can change the rules, something like that, you know, and all the crackback blocks and things like that. But I think I changed the game because, I mean, you know, I, I was sitting there stretching. Coach Parcells came up to me and said, man, you play the game the way it's supposed to be played. To me, that's the greatest accomplishment, uh, a compliment than, than, than anything. I mean, a coach recognizes for me to doing the little things. But uh, I would say my blocking stands out more than anything. I know no disrespect to the other guys, but, you know, for me, they just catching passes and touchdowns. And I did the same, probably not statistically as those guys, but, you know, I took pride in blocking. Like I said, I mean, I, I took great pride in that. And me being at the Hall of Fame for Jerome Bettis, I felt like I had made it too. You know, I was a part of the, some of his stats that, that he has, uh, you know, 
for his career rushing yards and touchdowns and but I took great pride in that, you know, and that's just who I was. So I would have to go with blocking. That's kind of what stands out uh, for me. And, you know, I go around, I do a lot of camps, a lot of coaching. A lot of coaches say, hey, man, we use your tape. We teach our receivers. This is how you block. This is how you make an impact on the game. So it's kind of flattering that, you know, I'm five years removed from the game and there's still coaches out there that pull out from my old film and, and they teach it to their young wideouts. It's like, this is how you impact the game when you're not catching the ball. So I would have to go with that. A couple questions for you. Sort of a gratuitous history question, yeah. but which DB gave you the most trouble and why? Um, as far as, I mean, Darrell Revis, I mean, he, Revis, I mean, he was one of those guys that had it all. I mean, he's very patient at the line of scrimmage. He's very smart, uh, very strong upper body. For me, you know, I would always try to impose my will on DBs and stuff just, not only mentally, but physically. And he was a guy that just kept dishing it back. So it was, it was like a chess match going back and forth, back and forth. When I would win against them, well, the ball, the coverage dictates where the ball goes. Well, Ben threw it to the other side. He said, our oh, quarterback didn't get you. <laughs> and then when he did come my way, him and I were trestling at the line of scrimmage. I mean, but the guy just gave me fit the entire game. I would, I would have to go with uh, Levis on, on, uh, for the Jets. You threw two passes in your NFL career. As a guy who went through for 413 yeah. yards in a bowl game at Georgia, do you feel you were underutilized by the Steelers as a passer? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was kind of like the quarterback uh, on the field at the wide receiver position. You know, I, I knew a lot what quarterbacks were thinking. I, I saw the coverages. So, for me, I was able to play a lot of different positions. I played the X, the Z. I played in the slot. Uh, came out the backfield, played fullback to come out and catch some routes against strong safeties and, and DBs. I mean, as far as throwing the ball, um, you know, myself, Antoine Randall, any receiver, we always want to throw the passes. But in the Super Bowl, I said, I want to always catch a touchdown ball in the Super Bowl. So I said, here, you know, you, you throw it to me and let me be on the receiving end. But uh, I don't know. Coach Carr, I felt like he was he was the guy that, that you know, Used me in a lot of different ways. Uh, made the game fun. Um, you know, uh, I was the slash before the slash in college. You know, so when Cornell yeah. Stewart was coming out, he was doing all the things. Those are the things that I wanted to do coming up. So I did a little bit, but not not as much as I wanted to, though. Hey, Hines, is, is there one wide receiver in today's game that you admire either for pass catching, blocking, or just the complete game? And to me, what you brought to the table was the complete game. I mean, you, you caught the ball, you scored yeah. touchdowns, but you blocked. You did everything. Is there anyone in today's game that you look at and said, you, you say, yeah, that's the guy that I, I would put on my team. That's a guy I admire. You know, I, I, I really – I don't see too many guys, but I would have to go with Anquan Bolt, the way his game is. I mean, the guy has great hands. He's smart. He's played quarterback. We, we kind of have similar backgrounds where he played quarterback, so he knows the game. Um, you know, I, I, I just watched him tape on him. I mean, he, he has a little pit bull in him. So I would have to go Anquan Bowden and Steve Smith. I mean, those guys, you know, to me, they got a little nastiness about them when they block. But, uh, you know, those guys, you, you, you throw the ball their way, they're going to catch it. Uh, they're going to score. They're going to just find ways to do it uh, to get the job done. So I would go with those two guys as far as the complete game overall.
Heinz, we've got to go too, but thanks for the time and best of luck with your Hall of Fame candidacy. No problem. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Heinz. Up next, why someone Heinz is familiar with, that'd be former San Diego running back LT Ladanian Tomlinson belongs in Canton. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Hi, other listeners out there. This is Dave Robinson, former Green Bay Packer Hall of Famer, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Now, the reminder that the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. We're also brought to you by Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper and get a local or toll-free number or just bring your own. To see how it works, just go to grasshopper.com. This is Drew Pearson, the original 88 with the Dallas Cowboys, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Talk of A Network's brought to you by Wrangler Advanced Comfort Jeans. They're made with 20% stronger denim and four-way flex technology that moves with you. Try a pair on if you think I'm joking. It's Wrangler Advanced Comfort Jeans. Be comfortable. This is Jason Taylor, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two-for-four-dollar croissant deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant You know they're just two-for-four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant and I gave one to this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant deal is two-for-four-dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and Clark Judge. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you fixed 15% or more on car insurance? It means you should probably have gone to Geico 15 minutes ago. So go now. Okay, we welcome back Tampa Bay's Hall of Fame voter Ira Kaufman for the close of the show, the final two-minute drill of our third season, which is brought to you by the Burger King Breakfast. You're on the clock, Ira. Let's see you weave some of the magic that Jameis Winston weaves in the final two minutes of game. 22 of the 32 NFL teams will conduct training camp at their home practice facilities. Has campus life, small beds, and team bonding become a lost NFL art? I'll give you a personal story. Uh, Bucks went to training camp in Orlando in 2002, ended up hoisting a Vince Lombardi trophy. They left Orlando, went back to one buck place in 09, haven't smelled the playoffs since. I rest my case, gentlemen. <laughs> Gooseman, as you know, nothing better than summer nights at the El Rancho Tropicana or on the Wisconsin Cheese Camp Tour. <laughs> Derek Carr says he'd give the ball to Marshawn Lynch on the goal line. What does he know that the Seahawks don't? Well, he's a little smarter than Pete Carroll at this point. That's why Derek Carr is going to be the man. And I say that in uh, in a city where uh, Jameis Winston is uh, flourishing. But uh, Derek Carr is going to be uh, the best quarterback in this league in about four years. And that's one of the reasons why. He knows what to do with the football. That's right. What he knows how to do is get out of the way and win the game. Who gets more touches this season in the New Orleans offense, Mark Ingram or Adrian Peterson? You know, Mark Ingram's a little bit better player than I thought he was. But you know what? He played pretty darn well last year. I think Peterson uh, is going to be a spot player. He won't like it, but I think that's uh, that's the role Peterson's going to play this year. I think Peterson gets more touches because if not, he'll take the switch to Sean Payton. <laughs> Speaking of New Orleans, pass rusher Cam Jordan says the Saints are Super Bowl ready. Which NFC team do you believe is Super Bowl ready? Not the Saints, Goose. Not the Saints. Uh, I'm going with the Packers. And, you know, look, guys, they walloped the Giants last year. They beat Dallas and Dallas, uh, you know, on, on a fantastic finish uh, and then got, a, you know, wiped out by the Falcons. 
Green Bay, uh, you know, if they shore up that pass defense, I, I think the Packers will be in Minneapolis. I think there's a lot of teams in the NFC that are ready to go to the Super Bowl and get beat by the Patriots. <laughs> Gentlemen, we'd like to thank Aaron Rodgers, Joe Schmidt, Jim Caldwell, John Mullen, and, and Ira Coffin for joining us, Derek Burns for producing us, and you for listening. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, or beam us up on iTunes on your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us on this station and at this time next week. Thanks for stopping by. Hi, Tom Bodette. According to the dad bod craze, the lumpy, less-than-chiseled look is now totally in. So you could say I'm in the best shape of my life, and so is Motel 6. They've updated their properties nationwide with contemporary everything, still for the same low price you've come to expect. So your wallet can feel a little pleasantly plump, too. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll leave the light on for you. Book online at motel6.com. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. Think you can't manage the down payment it takes to purchase a new home? Think again. You could move into a $150,000 home with as little as $1,500 down with our 1% down payment option. The rate today on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.19%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to quickenloans.com. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two-for-four-dollar croissant deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant You know they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant and I gave one to this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. There's people who care where I'm going And good friends who welcome me home So get a full tank of freedom Drive the American road And with a full tank of freedom Find your own highway We'll take you wherever you go Marathon, fueling the American spirit